Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Senator Franken's funny and frank new memoir, everything you need to know about the new Minnesota homegrown directory, and Minnesota Gopher football head coach P.J. Fleck. But first, this was the week that the work of the 2017 legislative session, which was fraught with fits and starts, finally became law. But as is usual at the state capitol, it wasn't quite as simple as that. MN's Bill Werner, you'd think that once the work product is complete, the politics would stop, at least for a while. Well, we could only hope, Scott, but politics at the legislature is kind of like a convoy or a freight train. Once it gets going, it's pretty hard to stop it. Early Monday evening, Governor Mark Dayton, about six hours ahead of his self-imposed deadline of midnight, made his decision on the state budget. I'm signing into law those nine so-called budget bills in order to forestall a bitter June showdown over a state government shutdown. I have strongest agreements with certain provisions in every one of those bills. However, having been through 20 tumultuous days in July of 2011, I understand the enormous uncertainties and disruptions that even the threat of another shutdown would cause for many thousands of Minnesotans. I also know from prior experience that it is extremely unrealistic for any of us to imagine we would achieve any better results from protracted budget negotiations well into June. But as the governor officially ended the work of the 2017 legislative session, everything else in that $46 billion budget was overshadowed by a clash between Dayton and Republican leaders which could well spill into the summer. Because Dayton vetoed a tax cut bill last year over an error, a bill that was never resurrected as he and Republicans argued over other matters well into the fall, This year, GOP lawmakers put a provision in the tax cut bill, what they called an insurance policy, that would shut down the state's tax collecting functions July 1st unless the governor signed the tax cuts into law. The reprehensible sneak attack which shatters whatever trust we achieve during the session. In response, Dayton vetoed operating funds for the legislature after July 1st, saying the only way to forestall it would be if Republicans eliminate measures in the bills that he signed that give tax breaks for tobacco, big business, and wealthy estates, plus back out newly enacted changes to teacher licensing laws and cancel a ban on driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. If they want me to sign a bill that provides their funding for the next four years, then they have to pass a bill that I can accept and agree to sign. House Speaker Kurt Doubt responded, Dayton is saying, He won't fund the legislature unless we agree to reverse things that he specifically, from his lips to my ears, agreed to through negotiations. Um, That means that the governor is the one that can't keep his word. Doubt added, I would expect legal action forthcoming very soon. He points to the separation of powers article in the Minnesota Constitution. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka echoed, I don't know how he can possibly uh, defund the people's voice, the legislative branches, and say that you cannot uh, function. Gazelka planned to reach out to the governor to try to work out an agreement, but at the same time, Republicans put the machinery in motion for legal action. If that case does end up in court, it would be an interesting and unusual one. 
We explore that further with one of the top constitutional law experts in Minnesota, Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. There's some significant constitutional questions here, both in terms of the legislature's action and in terms of the governor's action. In terms of the legislature, the, the effort to say that if the governor um, vetoes the tax bill that it will defund the Minnesota Department of Revenue raises important questions regarding separation of powers and whether or not it can cut funding off to an essential or core state function performed within the executive branch. Conversely, the governor's um, threat, uh, threatened line-item veto um, of funding for the legislature also raises state constitutional uh, questions in terms of separation of powers by removing funding in essential, from the legislature and essentially, disa- essentially disabling it from being able to perform its job. So we're seeing all types of interesting questions that deal with the heart of the Minnesota Constitution, and they raise some potentially interesting questions both legally and politically in terms of how all this plays out at least when it comes to the funding of the legislature, I think the legislature has the better argument here. Um, Still, the legislature would have to go through the courts, would actually have to fight this out, and exactly what their victory might be, assuming they got one, might not be completely to their liking. And let me back up on that just a little bit. You think that the legislature has a better argument in the sense of their argument that Governor Mark Dayton is encroaching on separation of powers by line-item vetoing their budget, that that might be a potentially a stronger legal argument than the governor's objection about the legislature putting this poison pill measure in to cancel funding, fund, funding for the Department of Revenue, the tax collection process, if he doesn't sign the tax cut bill. Yes, correct, because the legislature is explicitly listed in the Constitution and is protected under the state separation of powers clause, and therefore to defund them would be to disable another branch of government, versus while the Department of Revenue is certainly an essential or important, maybe even a core function of the executive branch, it's not mentioned in the Constitution. And one could make the argument that because of that, um, the refusal to fund it um, doesn't rise to the same level of constitutional significance as would defunding the legislature. Have you ever seen anything like this before? The, the only other thing that rivals this was many years ago mm. when Governor Pawlenty uh, decided to end the legislative session by unallotting yes. several billion dollars. I, um, I, I remember that. I remember that sick look uh, of the Republican caucus members when they all came out of that closed-door meeting with the governor, and you could tell in their faces that, in fact, uh, he was going to unallot those bills. That's you know, right. Veto yeah. that veto and then unallot. Right. And that's the yeah. last time I saw something as strange. But here... What, we're, what we have is high-stakes politics surrounding high-stakes constitutional litigation or potential litigation. And I've not seen that in Minnesota, um, at least in a quarter century, that I've been teaching and observing state politics. That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Scott, I think a lot of Minnesotans are getting pretty weary of the situation at the Capitol, but it looks like we will have to endure it at least for the first part of the summer until legislative leaders finally go home and, guess what, start working on campaign 2018.
Never a dull moment at the Capitol. Thank you for that report, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. U.S. Senator Al Franken is out with a new book this week. It's called Al Franken, Giant of the Senate, and it covers his days at SNL, his first run for the Senate, and why he went from funny man to statesman. The book sort of tells a tale of two Frankens. One is funny and one is serious, and the book itself is a mix of humor and insight. I'm curious what prompted you to write this book at this time. Well, I've been asked uh, one question over and over again since I've been a senator, which is, is being a United States senator as much fun as working on Saturday Night Live? And the answer, of course, to that is no. <laughs> you know, why would it be? But it's the best job I've ever had. And it's the best job I've ever had because I get to work to improve people's lives and have you know, when you do that successfully, it's it's an unbelievable feeling. So that's kind of why I did this. And I wanted to tell the odd story about how I went from comedy to this work I do in the Senate. And I am probably the, I am the first comedian who was in, <laughs> has been in the Senate. And I also have written a lot about a lot of books about politics and I thought this was it made a lot of sense to do it. If the comedy writer Al Franken were to satirize Senator Al Franken, where would you start? Well, I would start exactly where I started <laughs> in this book. I mean, that's part of what this book does. I'm pretty I think I'm more honest than uh you get in most of your Senate memoirs. And so, and a lot of what happened to me is in how I acted and how I adjusted to be, becoming a politician, if you will, uh, was funny. So uh, that's that's where I, I, I kind of start where I was, uh, you know, I grew up in St. Louis Park and, uh, you know, two-bedroom, one-bath house. My dad didn't graduate high school, was a printing salesman, but I felt like the luckiest kid in the world. Um, and, uh, I thought I could be anything I wanted. And so I talk, a lot of this is about the middle class and my, my wife, Franny, who I met freshman year in college, she, uh, grew up very poor because her father died when she was 18 months old, leaving her mom widowed with five kids. So I talk about how they made it 
and the role of government. That stuff ain't that funny, but um, it's uh, it's it's a core value. It's a, it's why uh, why I do what I do, which is I I want to help uh, build a strong middle class and help people who are aspiring to become middle class get there. And in Franny's family's case, uh, they got there because of uh, Social Security survivor benefits. My mother-in-law had five kids um, at age 29, a widow, and they made it because of Social Security survivor benefits. Sometimes the heat was turned off, sometimes they didn't have enough food to eat, in fact, often, but, but they made it. And uh, all the girls in the family, four of them, went to college on Pell Grants and scholarships, and um, my mother-in-law finally went to college on the GI Bill and became a teacher. And so, and really, the book is partly that gut value that I have about that there is a, a role for government. You know, they tell you uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, first, you got to have the boots, and the government gave. Franny's family, the Boots, and they're all in the middle class, are all productive, tax-paying members of society. Um, and that's sort of the basics of why I do what I do in the Senate and uh, why I think it's important what I do. And then, um, you know, I talk about the campaign I had with Norm Coleman, and that gets funny. <laughs> that's that's actually one of my favorite sections of the book. It's it's very illuminating. It's very funny. It, it, it's it, you had a rocky campaign, and you're kind of describing how you're learning the ropes as you're deciding to sort of put your uh, foot into politics somewhat. How, how how difficult was it to suppress the the wisecracking version of yourself? when you decided to become a senator? Because you obviously took it very seriously. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, basically, I thought it would be an asset being funny. <laughs> and uh, what happened is the Coleman campaign took pretty much everything I'd ever said or written and put it through a $15 million machine called a dehumorizer. And if you take the context out of everything, you know, a lot of what you do in, in satire is irony, hyperbole, those kinds of things. If you take that out, sometimes they don't look so good. So I had to learn early on that the being, having been in comedy wasn't that wasn't an asset at all. In fact, it was a liability because so much could be taken out of context. And then I had to learn uh, some uh, some skills and politician skills that I just not was not used to <laughs> like pivoting pivoting is like when you're asked a question like you're now 20 points percentage points behind Norm Coleman in the polls why do you think that is and I would just say why I thought it was and pivoting when and I'm sure people do it to you all the time when you're interviewing them Scott the right pivot is to go, you know what, as I go around Minnesota, people don't care. Minnesotans don't care about polls. What they care about is their kids' education. And they care that Minnesotans get good health care and that they, they won't go bankrupt if they get really sick. That That's a pivot. <laughs> so I had to learn that. And uh, 
you know, it was a very uh, steep learning curve for me, and uh, I clobbered Norm Coleman in the uh, narrowest clobbering in history, <laughs> 312 votes. The book is called Al Franken, Giant of the Senate, so clearly you've mastered the political thing. Do you have aspirations politically or in life beyond uh, being a U.S. senator? Uh, no. <laughs> well, well, you know, my goals are to, uh, so that, you know, every kid in Minnesota has the opportunities that I had and that uh, my children had and my grandchildren uh, have. My thanks to Senator Al Franken. The book is called Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love Love your son, you need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me, or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2017 Minnesota Grown Directory has arrived. The newest version boasts more than a thousand member listings of local food and products from Minnesota producers. MN's Tasha Radel tells us how we can get our hands on the largest directory ever. Here to talk all about it is Paul Huguenin. He's the program director for the Minnesota Grown Program. Paul, I know this is an exciting year. It's the largest directory ever. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, this is the largest Minnesota-grown directory we've ever published, and we've been putting these out for more than 30 years. And so it's a good indication that people are enthusiastic about local foods and locally grown plants, and we're excited to put out this statewide directory. It's everything from farmers markets to CSA farms and garden centers. And that's what I was going to ask you. Could you tell us a little bit about what people can see and find in this directory? Yeah, the the sh- 
this is everything that you can buy directly from the person who grew it or raised it. So it includes plants like garden centers. It includes specialty beverages like farm wineries. And we even have a craft brewer in the, in the book this year for the first time uh, to things like farmers markets and CSA farms, apple orchards, berry farms. But it's also a place where people can buy uh, meat products and poultry direct from the farmer. So if you've always wanted to have a, a quarter of, of uh, locally grown beef in the freezer for every night when you come home, we can help you find a farmer who does that. And then um, I understand that there's a print version of this directory and also an online version? That's correct. So uh, a person can go to minnesotagrown.com, all spelled out, minnesotagrown.com. They can search, uh, they could put in their zip code, they could put in their city, and they could see everything that's available near them, or they could search for something specific like, you know, a farmer's market or an orchard. They can also, on that same website, they can request a free printed copy of the directory. So we're happy to provide a, a printed copy. A lot of folks like to keep it in their, their car so that when they're driving to a destination, they can pick it out and use it as a reference of, hey, what can we do while we're in the Duluth area or what can we do near Mankato? And, you know, um, I've been in radio for nearly 20 years, and I've done this story often. Paul, how long have you been there? Uh, with... <laughs> no, I... <laughs> <laughs> Do you I like how been, I said? <laughs> I have been here um, 29 years this May. I, I have been here with the program. So it, it gives me kind of a unique perspective on, you know, where's growth and how have things changed. It's been a, a wonderful program to work with. Well, that's what I mean. Like you've got, you've seen this pretty much from the ground up. I mean, it's just got to be so rewarding for you to see how much this has taken off. So it's, it's true. It is. I mean, when I started the first year, I would have been here and seen a directory come out. It had 230 listings. So to go through somewhere between a, a four and five times growth in the number of people in this book is, is fun. Well, and it's so true because I even catch myself, I mean, probably 10 years ago, I, you know, if I ran into a, a farmer's market, I'd be like, you know, okay, that's great. But now you seek them out and you want it. It's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's a weird, a weird, a kind of a new addiction, so to speak, if that makes any sense. And it it does make sense. And one thing that I've noticed, when we go to events to hand out the directory, when I started, we had to talk about why you should buy locally. Now all we have to do is let people know how and where. Sometimes when we do stories, uh, a lot of people think that these things are only available in the, in the bigger cities like the Twin Cities. Uh, is there something for everyone all across the state, even in those rural areas, Paul? That's the beautiful thing about the directory. It is truly statewide, and if you're on the Canadian border, you can find a farmer's market near you, and if you're on the Iowa border, we can help you there too. So it's a nice thing about Minnesota is, is we have farmers all over the state, and they all have different things that they grow, but yeah, no matter where a person lives in Minnesota, they can find somebody near them and, and take advantage of the opportunity to buy locally. Thanks again to my guest, Paul Huguenin, with Minnesota Growing. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. 
Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher head football coach P.J. Fleck continues to take part in the annual Gopher Road Trip where high-profile U of M coaches tour the state to interact with fans. He'll begin a three-day, seven-community trip early next week through northern Minnesota. He had an eight-city, three-day tour last week through the southern part of the state as well. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spent time on the road trip with Fleck and sat down with the new football coach for Minnesota Matters. Well, Coach, your first foray into getting into the uh, outstate, so to speak, uh, what's uh, what has that experience been like for you to see some of the state outside of the Twin Cities? Well, it's been a leap because really I go from my house to the office, the office to the house, and that's pretty much anywhere I go. If I go somewhere else, somebody probably drives me to a lunch or a dinner, So, and I'm probably doing work on my phone. This has been really nice to kind of just sit back on the bus, get to know our coaching staff, get to know all their accomplishments. I mean... You know, we talk, talk about football right now, but, man, I can't believe how many national championships and Big Ten championships we're winning at the University of Minnesota in all of our sports. Um, it's just a fabulous time to be a Gopher fan. But I love traveling the state. I don't know it very well. So for me to be able to go around and see what beautiful state we have is, is really inspiring. And uh, there's every time I pass a river or a lake, Coach Patino is giving me crap on the, uh, on the bus because every time I pass a body of water, what, what body of water is that? Jessica, what body of water is that? Uh, just because it's 10,000 lakes. And I want to know where I am. It's just beautiful, and the receptions have been awesome. Yeah, what has the feedback been like from fans when you interact? I think everybody's really, really excited. You know, change is very hard for everybody, you know, and we've had a lot of change. We've had three head coaches in three years. I think when you kind of look at it, maybe five head coaches in the last 15 years, that's very difficult for people um, because there's really none of, none of that cultural sustainability. And that's what I've told them that we're going to bring here. Uh, but I think people are just really, really excited. Uh, I told them, you know, you didn't pick me. Uh, maybe you didn't pick the change. Maybe you didn't want the change. Maybe you did. But at the end of the day, I picked you. And uh, this was a dream job for me. And I'm very, very honored to be the head football coach at Minnesota. Let's talk about your football team. You're through your first spring practice. Coming out of spring practice, how do you feel about your club? And is it a little different than maybe you thought it might be when you started spring drills? <laughs> um, well, the big thing is we still have 22 kids that are out uh, with, with season-ending injuries from last year and had surgery. So there's 22 kids we still haven't evaluated. And, you know, Mike, the hard part is is that you know, usually once you get out of spring ball, you have an identity, you kind of know where you're at, you've seen everybody, and you can evaluate. When you hit training camp, you can start doing everything you can to master the offense, defense, and special teams. We are still going to be in the evaluation stage because there's still 22 players we haven't even seen. So there's going to be evaluation. There's going to be the next step of development. The mastery is probably not going to come right away. Um, so we have to keep that in mind as coaches and, and give as much as we can handle for year one um, and put our players in the best position to be successful. But I love their resiliency. I love how they've grown. Uh, we just had one of the highest GPAs ever in the history of our football program uh, in our first semester here. So when you talk about the culture working academically, athletically, so and spiritually. I think people see that. I see that. And uh, that's what we expect. 
You've mentioned your roll the boat culture may not be for everyone. Not every player is going to be that cup of tea. Are you happy with the buy-in right now from from the group on the roster? Oh, 100%. I, I'm really excited. You know, I, I actually thought there'd probably be more attrition than there actually was, but I think uh, our football team is is thriving for this, uh, and that's when you start to see changes immediately, and you start to see guys change who not who they really are, but change how they act, how they walk, how they talk, how they hold themselves, the confidence they carry themselves with the way they interact with people, the way they socialize, uh, and the way they make other people's lives better. You know, our program's the Row the Boat culture, but it's but it's also about serving and giving. Our players are doing a ton of serving and giving, and they're realizing that it's not just about their life. It's about how they can impact other people. That's the biggest change I've seen since the day I walked in here, and I'm really, really proud of their progress. How important is the summer now? I know the weight room and the strength and conditioning is going to be awfully important, and that is most of what uh, where that growth can come and maybe win some games later in the, in the fall based on what they do this summer. Absolutely. There, there is, the great thing about this, Mike, is there is no time frame. I've said that numerous times. Uh, I cannot promise anybody a championship in any year. I can promise a championship at some point. Uh, and as Coach Patino likes to point out in the, in the road trip, it could be 30 years from now. I mean, he's joking. And I said, I, I won't be coaching in 30 years. Um, but, you know, it could be year one, could be year three, four, eight, nine, whatever it is. But our championship culture is going to – we're not going to sacrifice what we really want down the road for what we want right now. And I think that's really important for everybody to understand because we're not going to make cut corners, do things to kind of get a quick fix. We're going to do things uh, – an elite level all the time and 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 build a championship culture that can sustain success over a long period of time and to get there it takes time but the summer is really important because you can take a you can you can take a year or two worth of work and stuff it into a summer if people all figure it out they're all rowing the boat in the same direction the buy-in's all there and uh, you can really take a team and surprise a lot of people in year one. But, again, we're not worried about that. We're worried about today. What can we do better today than we did tomorrow? And then tomorrow we'll worry about what we could do better than we did today. Very good. Great to see you. Thank you. Great to see you, Mike. Roll the boat. Sky your mouth. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. And that is going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. station.